0: Hi there, welcome to episode fifty-eight of Paranormal Blip. Brilliant that you are here to join me and I'm pulling myself away from let <laughs> me finish the sentence. Away from Guns and Roses. Gluns and Roses, as I like to call them, who are appearing live on my television in Glastonbury at the moment. And um yeah, got a good few songs, haven't they? Yeah, they still got the um you know the verve. Not as good as the verve though. Poor, yeah, they were good. Not as good as the manics, eh? Manics were on earlier, remember them? Yeah. Motorcycle emptiness. Anyway, today we are going to look at three different things. Now this is a kind of rolling news episode in a way, okay? So it's kind of like an update on two things. And also there's a big news story, which I felt like I was compelled to tell you about. So let me get my ducks in order. First of all, we're going to look at um, some very interesting language that has been passed by the Senate for this um, new Intelligence Authorization Act for next year. And Douglas Dean Johnson has done an excellent story about that. That came out just earlier today, just uh, don't know how many hours ago, but not that long ago. And then uh, we're going to follow up with our friend Avi Loeb. He's not not my friend, but I'd like to. I like him to be my friend, Avi. If you're out there off the coast of Papua New Guinea, thinking what shall I listen to? Well, listen to this, and contact me you know hit me up on twitter and we could be friends oh right, i'd very much like that oh. <laughs> anyway i'm going to so he has had I, I spoke about his extraordinary project last last episode and i tell you what it has come on in leaps and bounds so i'm very much looking forward to telling you about that the update there very interesting and we've got a little snippet of an interview that abby did Couple of days ago as well, uh, which is absolutely fascinating stuff. And then finally, Marco Rubio has given an interview, quite a short interview, um, to a journalist called Matt Laszlo and Matt Leslow, uh has kind of done a write up of it. So I will go through that, and I'll also link to the audio of the interview as well. So that's very good. So um, yeah, very exciting and uh, welcome to episode 58 so just a word of thanks now to everybody that is subscribing on spotify which means you don't miss an episode and you get it straight away uh, just as i press you know launch <laughs> and also everybody that's subscribing on apple and on all other you know platforms and especially thank you to the folk that are subscribing to the exclusive episodes. And you can do that for ninety-nine pence, which is around about one dollar twenty, I think, last time I checked, which is around about one euro twenty cents as well, last time I checked, which was a couple of months ago. But I don't think it's you know, has it fluctuated that much? I don't think so. And also thank you for the folk that have put in representations to me to say, how do I subscribe? I did realize that the last episode I didn't put a link in, which doesn't really help, does it? <laughs> it doesn't help you, and it doesn't help, me. it helps no one, that's what helps, no one. But this episode, if you go to the episode description, you will see a way of subscribing to the exclusive subscriber-only episodes, okay? And there's eight there so far, I am due an update. And I will do an update at some point, quite soon, in the next few days. Um, but you can kind of unlock, if you like, or have access to all of those eight episodes. Okay, so that that's really good. So basically, thank you ever so much. Also, if you want to follow me on Twitter, also if you want to follow me on Instagram, but I mean, I wouldn't do that if I were you because I never check Instagram. Also, if you want to, you can now listen to this on. YouTube and all uh, episodes from, I think it's like episode 55 or something like that, last couple of episodes have been automatically uploaded onto YouTube as well. So let's take a look now at this amazing story that Douglas Dean Johnson has put up here. So I've got a link to it in the episode description, as you can imagine. So here we go. take, Take a look at this. The US Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, SSCI, has unanimously approved legislation containing language that appears intended to dig out any UAP-associated technology that is or ever was controlled by the federal government. The new UAP slash UFO provisions are being publicly reported in detail in this article for the first time anywhere. So thank you, Douglas Dean Johnson, for this extraordinary exclusive that you have. He—that's me saying that, by the way. <laughs> he obviously didn't like that little bit. The new UAP provisions are part of the fiscal year twenty twenty four Intelligence Authorization Act in brackets, IAA comma S dot two one o oh, three close brackets, which was approved unanimously. By the senate intelligence committee in a closed-door session on june 14th and june 21st he reported this the text has just become public um so here we go this is the interesting bit here so the bill would require quote any person currently or formally under contract with the federal government that has in their possession material or information provided by or derived from the federal government relating to unidentified anomalous phenomena that formally or currently is protected by any form of special access or restricted access." Quote, quote close quote. quote. Quote, to notify the director of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Arrow, within 60 days of enactment, and to provide within 180 days, which is six months, quote, a comprehensive list of all non-earth origin or exotic unidentified anomalous phenomena material, possessed, and to make it available to the Arrow Director for assessment, analysis and inspection. The legislation would uh, also require the Arrow Director to notify designated congressional committees and leaders within 30 days after receiving any such notifications, information, or exotic materials. The Intelligence Committee legislation also includes what might be called a, quote, safe harbor provision, providing that if such a person complies with the notification and makes available deadlines, and sorry, and make available deadlines, quote, no criminal, or civil action may lie or be maintained in any federal or state court against any person for receiving uh, UAP-related material or information." Quote. The Safe Harbor language may be read to imply that a private entity that obtained non-human technology from the government and then held on to that material outside of the standard mechanisms for democratic oversight, perhaps profiting from it in some manner, might be in a legally tenuous position. If so, then such an amnesty period might smooth the way for timely and orderly disclosure. This reading of the provision is speculative. The committee has not yet published any explanatory material on the language. So then it goes on and says, the language seems in sync with past public claims by some persons purporting to have direct or indirect knowledge of UFO Crash retrieval programs, who have asserted that such programs had made little progress over decades because stringent secrecy has severely limited the scientific and engineering resources available to unravel the workings of devices or material of purportedly non human origin. Such claims were made, for example, by an unnamed military contractor quoted by Michael Schellenberger, and we mentioned that in a recent episode didn't we yeah okay so it's a brilliant article and very robust very strong language it's basically saying you know now is the time to come forward now is the time to report and uh, it's you know unanimously passed it's not law you know this is the language that goes into the uh, final Uh, Bill that will be kind of brought together by all of the people that are kind of putting their little bits in and it will probably be signed in to law in December um, for next year. But that's very, very interesting stuff. And it puts a a time on when we can expect big revelations from corporations, organisations and maybe kind of secrets. Parts of the government that are working with corporations uh, to expect all of that to come forward. We're now jumping over to Matt Laszlo, and um, this is another brilliant story. So, here we go, and there's a link in this as well. Right, so exclusive. Rubio says UAP whistleblower first credibly vetted, referred to Congress and um, it's just a little intro that he has but essentially this is a like an interview okay now the audio of the interview is is there but he's written out the interview as well in a kind of um, you know UFO Joe type way Um, so here we go Matt Leslow says do you have any questions lingering from the whistleblower Marco Rubio says um do i have any questions so that's the voices i'm going with okay matt it do- doesn't really sound like them but it's just for your ability to distinguish between the voices okay so uh, i'll do the whole thing okay do you have any questions lingering it sounds quite seductive i'm sure it is in real life it's quite a good voice is isn't it do you have any questions lingering from the whistleblower um Do I have any questions? Do you think he classifies a whistleblower as a whistleblower? Well, the Inspector General has deemed it an urgent and credible threat to her. So that's how it's been referred to us. So I have no reason. Yeah? So you're taking it credibly? Do you want to hear from him and others behind closed doors in the open? Well, we've begun that process. Obviously, it's up to the Chairman, Mark Warner in brackets, to decide what direction to go on. But I know we've already begun that it sounds a bit like Batman. But I know we've already begun that process. I think he's interviewed with the staff already. So what do you think of the notion that there are saps hidden in Congress? Those claims have been made for years, and that's suddenly something we'd be very disturbed by. And that's what the gist of the whistleblower's claim is that there are programs that should have been notified to Congress that were not. So we're going to be interested in that, no matter what the topic is. And that's kind of new compared to others in the past. Well, we've heard those claims in the past. This is the first one that's gone through this process. Interesting. Then he says, follow me on Twitter for further updates, at Matt Lesley, which I've linked. Thank you, Mr. Lesley and thank you Mr Rubio and I do apologize for your voice in particular Mr Rubio now um, so the the interesting thing there is it's something that you know I mean we've kind of been around the grush tree haven't we uh, many times we've danced around the grush tea tree should really call it the grush brush the, bu- the, the grush bush but his name isn't grush it's grush so what is new here, though, is that Rubio, you know, the, the, the Grush basically spent four years checking out these guys, them like himself, thinking naturally enough, thinking, hold on a minute, I'm being sold a pup here, and then realising, oh, my God, no, this is real, you know. He saw enough evidence. He interrogated um, the people enough in saps, um, to be convinced of what it was that they were being shown, he realised it was legal, and he made a complaint to the ICIC, ICIG, which, and we all know that. But the interesting thing that Rubio is doing is saying that that process of the inspector general for the intelligence community, um, you know, meeting with him, interviewing him, taking his um, concerns, you know, as urgent and credible that was a vetting process this is the really interesting thing that Rubio says that the ICIG has vetted Grush so he then said go to Congress and he met and we know this from um, Ross Goulthard he met the staff in the Congress so like the, the, not the actual Congress people But the staff that work for the congress people who have the kind of relevant clearances obviously you know because if you don't then you can't have the conversations and so and he also met with some house um, staff and lawyers as well i think but from the congress point of view that's what rubio is saying he has i i think he's interviewed with staff already so it looks like you know it's all coming together you know i mean these guys that are writing the um you know the, the bill that's has just been unanimously voted on in the senate are obviously kind of aware that whistleblowers are speaking to them and speaking to their staff and saying you know this is being taken from you this is being hidden from you this is you don't have oversight on this so they're writing the language like absolutely appropriately to chase this down you know so it's all coming together but i thought it was quite interesting that word vetted and of course it gives you massive amounts of um confidence and encouragement if you are a senator for you know the the icig has already done the, the kind of weeding if you like he's already done the verification grush has been vetted so, we're now going to go back to the journal that um, Abby Loeb is uh, making or writing on his field trip off of uh, Papua New Guinea in the ocean off of Papua New Guinea. And this is from uh, tomorrow. <laughs> it's dated uh, June 25th, but in London, British summertime, it's still June 24th. Okay. But of course there it's um what is it roughly dunno eleven hours ahead? Something like that. Something like that. Right, okay. So this is called we have twenty-five sephules from IM1's sites. Now I'm gonna play you an interview, and at that point you had they had eleven, I think. So they're finding a lot of them. And they've actually got this really brilliant image. Of the um, interstellar expedition, Cephal Count. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Essentially, it's like a spherical, tiny little fragment, about the the size of the head of a pin, like a you know under a millimeter in size. Most of them, and um, I think Run Eight was the most successful, but they've been you know they've been getting a couple. Run 15 had, had three of these little things. So anyway, let's read a little bit of this and then we'll jump into the audio. So it says, by now we have 25 cephalos from the site of the first recognized interstellar meteor, I am one. They are kept in vase and organized in a plastic container like babies in their beds within a delivery room. We nearly doubled the threshold for opening the champagne bottles on Silver Star. That's the name of their boat. I asked Rob McCullum why he bought the bottles on board in the first place, and he replied that he's an optimist. Life is sometimes a self-fulfilling prophecy, so it's better to be an optimist. Last evening was stormy, and so we postponed the celebration to tonight. At its core, this will be a celebration of the scientific method and of courage to follow it despite all odds. Fishing for milligram mass babies after they settled to an ocean floor depth of 2 kilometres nearly a decade ago using a 200 kilogram magnetic sled is no small feat. What counts for our future analysis is the total mass of cephalos. This can be estimated by summing up the cephal volumes, which scale as the cube of their individual sizes. Altogether, we have about thirty milligrams of cephal material as of now. Based on the energy radiated from IM1's fireball and the measured im ones and the measured IM1 speed, one can infer the mass of material entrained in the fireball to be about five hundred kilograms. If we end up retrieving fifty milligrams over the remaining three days of the expedition, the total mass we collect will constitute one part in 10 million of the fireball's debris mass. To summarise, a team of two dozen researchers and support staff spent two weeks and $1.5 million on bringing a tenth of a millionth of the debris mass of IM1 to the deck of the ship Silver Star. So they're going to bring this back and they've, they've got a couple more runs to go. So they'll, you know, undoubtedly find a few more sepherals at least, and I think they've got up to nine, three, three more days and up to nine more runs, I think. Um, like you know, if everything kind of goes well, it looks as if they can do three a day or something like that. Um, so and then and then it goes back to um, Harvard, and then they do. So this is the, like the preliminary tests. On the machines that they can actually get onto the boat you know and now we're going to jump into the audio which is in a video a video an interview that um avi loeb gave a couple of days ago to this um, what is it like a tv show is it called the hill i think it might be connected to a kind of some kind of publication but anyway it's good stuff and here is loop. So what, tell us what you found and why there is, is some indication or why you suspect that it might be interstellar in origin. And, and are, is what you're saying, not just that it's interstellar in origin and, and so far as it came from outside of the solar system, but that it is evidence of intelligent design?
1: Well, um, so first about the interstellar origin, that became clear from the high speed of the meteor mm-hmm. Uh, And we discovered it uh, based on government data. And then the US uh, Space Command issued the letter to NASA, where it confirmed that the 99.99% that indeed this object was moving uh, too fast to be bound to the sun, that it came from outside the solar system. And moreover, they released data about the fireball that allowed us to infer that it's tougher than all the space rocks that were identified by NASA over the past decade. 272 of them so it was made of very unusual material and that uh, led me to initiate this uh, expedition and we have an exceptional team of uh, researchers and uh, support staff that allowed us to build this machinery that we are using well uh, to find those uh, fragments that were left behind and now we can actually look at the materials that we recovered and um, Amazingly enough, we found uh, uh, basically what is called the spherols. These are particles that are spherical, perfect spheres, made of metal. And we can put them into uh, 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 what is called an X-ray fluorescence uh, analyzer that allows us to infer the composition. And the composition appears to be different than uh, uh, commercial uh, metals that we use here on Earth. Uh, anything um, that humans produce, but it's also different from asteroids, from rocks that uh, previously were analyzed, and that makes first of all it, it implies that perhaps indeed uh, the it was it originated from a completely different environment, and moreover perhaps it was manufactured uh, in a uh, artificial way, uh, technologically, and you know, that would be the first time, first of all, the first time that an interstellar object was analyzed by humans. You know, we can hold it in our hand, the materials. Mm. Uh, We retrieve them from the ocean. And the ocean is a perfect uh, museum to collect those things because uh, they do not get covered. If it fell in the Sahara Desert, for example, uh, it would have been covered by dust uh, uh, over the past decade. We wouldn't find it. And so we're lucky on many fronts also in terms of those small particles you know it took us a while to find them uh because they were embedded in uh, volcanic ash that uh, basically covers the uh, entire surface of the ocean floor and uh and so we had to uh, you know go with tweezers and isolate them but after looking at them uh, through microscopes and you know as of now we have 11 of them it's they are quite remarkable you can see images of them that i put on uh my blog uh on medium.com so if you just search for hmm. avilo at medium.com in fact i just just a half an hour ago i showed uh, uh, images of the last two that we discovered uh but before that there were nine others and they they are quite remarkable i mean they're tiny the size of, the head of the pin, and these are the type of droplets you get from heating of any meteor that enters the atmosphere. But in this case, the meteor is very special, both in composition and in speed. It actually moved outside the solar system faster than 95% of all the stars near the sun. And that raises the possibility that it it had some artificial propulsion. Why would it move so fast, even relative to stars near the sun? And why would it be made of materials that are far tougher than than iron. Hmm. And so now we, we have the materials I, and I plan to bring them back to the Harvard College Observatory where we have access to exceptional instruments. We can't have them here on the boat. Uh, we have some preliminary analysis. But once we analyze them, uh, you know, uh, there we can yeah. uh, quite conclusively figure out first that this object was interstellar Because we might find isotopes that you don't see in uh, uh, solar system objects. But moreover, we might uh, figure out that it's actually technological in origin. Uh, Once again, because it's made of uh, some alloy that uh, does Hmm. not appear in nature.
0: So that's very exciting. We await further study and all the links are in the episode description. So thanks ever so much for listening. Episode 59 is just around the corner. I mean, this is like, you know, it's all kicking off at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. So very, very interesting world that we're living in. And see you later.